This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Special episode two of the Four Star Spurs podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week, we have Tommy. What's up, everybody? John. Lovely to be with you, as always. And Christian. Hey, what's up? Well, um, I want to break the ice with a question that we got from... Actually, it's from our own Nate. He couldn't be on today, but he, he did have kind of a fun question, which I think is a good place to start the conversation. So, uh, Tommy, you have that question queued up? Uh, yes. So I want to provide some context. Well, hopefully some context with this after the question. Um, so Nate's question is Vince McMahon to buy Spurs. Who says no? Um, there's kind of two interesting tidbits. So if for who that doesn't follow wrestling, Vince McMahon, he owns WWE, which is the biggest wrestling promotion in the world. Um, Actually, another tip. So the other one is uh, the owner of Fulham is Shadi Khan, whose son, well, he owns AEW, which is now the de facto second biggest promotion. Um, that name might sound familiar because he also owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and another interesting tip, there was rumors years ago that Vince McMahon actually wanted to buy Newcastle United. But, of course, that never materialized. But anybody got thoughts on that? So this isn't something that was like actually came up as a rumor about Vince McMahon wanting in. This is just kind of Nate making a joke about um, a potential suitor. From what I've heard, there are no rumors. So, yeah, uh, you know, I I think it would be ridiculous to have like a a wrestling giant owning the the club. But but to be honest, like they they know entertainment. Uh, It certainly (laughs) would be. um, it probably would be more about the product on the on the field than it would be about the, um, uh, the the dollars coming into the revenue stream and the salaries being paid out, like the Daniel Levy's of the world that are making more than uh, their peers with other clubs uh, that are performing better. Um, I, I think they're this probably isn't the right guy to own it but i i could see the value in having somebody who's more entertainment focused owning the team if that makes sense and he is a billionaire so he could definitely buy a good chunk of the club well, what's he what's he worth two billion probably maybe more i mean um I, I, well, I if this is a business play i mean if vince mcmahon wants to buy it and you know I don't think he's going to have a say in any of it. If anything, it's almost like more distance leaves uh, for an owner leaves a little bit more freedom to the club in some aspects. Maybe I I don't know. I don't know how that works, but you know, if rock's going to be on the training ground and stone cold can manage the club and uh, (laughs) got a good array of professional wrestlers, uh, you know, um, put in because I feel like they're the only ones that want the kind of coaching jobs right now because we can't get any real football managers. So, Ooh. Ooh. yeah, much- I, you know, Christian, I think that's a great uh, that's a great comment. But uh, 
you know, when it comes down to it, I think that there are rooms full of people in London making this crap up. And, uh, you know, it's their job to make up rumours about whatever they can make up. And this I see as just part of that. I have, uh, you know, I'd be willing to put money that there is nothing behind any of these, but uh, but trying to sell newspapers. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a good point. And in Christian's point, it's probably a good segue into uh, uh, the, the first topic that we're going to talk about, and that's this a massive coach drama that we've been all experiencing. Um, I think we all thought, uh, just kind of going back in the way back clock, and uh, when Jose Mourinho was shit-canned um, before the cup final, we were all thinking that they must have a plan in place for uh, – how they're going to replace them. Yes, Ryan Mason's going to cover for now, um, but that's just to get us to the end of the season because probably the people that we want aren't available yet. Um, that didn't seem to work out that way. And, and, and the last episode, we got to talk about the uh, the Pochettino drama and then uh, uh, the Conti drama. Um, but the drama still continued <laughs> after that. And um, eventually... Uh, Paratici sounded like he was um, stepping in and helping to make the decisions. Um, and when Conti fell through, um, all of a sudden we seemed to land on Fonseca. Now, Fonseca, I don't think anybody was that excited about. Um, but I think we, had, we we all had a week there where we kind of got used to the idea of the of Fonseca coming in and we were getting our Fonz gifs together to, 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 uh, uh, to be able to sh- – share with people when stuff happens, but then that fell apart and it got even uglier. Uh, so uh, when we went to Gattuso or Gattuso or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, so I think John, you wanted to, yeah, I think John, you wanted to tackle this first. So I'm just setting, it, setting up the pins for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I agree with the fact that when uh, Mourinho was fired, I didn't think that there was any chance that they hadn't got a plan. I, I, as in the past, they've never done that. They've always had a plan. And as the time went on, it was like, okay, tell me what the plan is. And the plan appeared to be, we'll hire the best guy that we can get, which doesn't, it doesn't, that's not leave Levy the way Levy normally works. Um, he's normally much more of a, a better businessman than that. So it, I think that it makes the whole situation more odd than it was. And, Surely it's been very odd. I mean, to fire him right before a cup final, that was odd. To have nobody set up to come in, that was odd. Um, And then to have publicly uh, all of these players, all these people coming forward claiming that they've been discussing it with the club and then it's fallen through and then the director of football coming in and evidently he's got more to say than uh, than Levy has, and they're they're disagreeing about things. This is very unlike Levy. That's that's the thing that puzzles me. Is it the Italian connection? Do you think? Uh, I I know the way the Italian press uh, operates is a little bit different when it comes to football matters. Do we think that maybe that uh, because we went with Paratici, that's why this has gotten a little bit ugly and out in the open, uh, Tommy? I mean, Paratici, I mean, he's he was with Juventus for almost, what, 10 years? So he knows what he knows, and that 
the Serie A's is wheelhouse. So, like, whether it be Fonseca, Conte, Gattuso, etc. Those player or those uh, managers being lined up, being interviewed, whatever. Like, it all makes sense, of course. Um, my only issue, like, the only question is, like, apparently this guy, he will go, whether it be to Azerbaijan, Finland, or whatever, to look scout players. So I'm assuming there's something similar in terms of his research for uh, managers. So I think he's just kind of testing out the waters now with that. But I'm like, but yeah, with John, I'm I'm in agreement. I'm like, Daniel Levy's always had a plan, whether it be getting Juan de Ramos. Harry Redknapp was a bit surprising for me, I will admit. But, uh, you know, we got him quickly. We got AVB quickly. Then and so uh, then we got Pochettino within a month, it felt like. So. But there is one thing that there's one scenario that does fit with this. And that is that agreement has been made and the manager is at the Euros and it's all said and done. And they're not going to talk about it until the Euros are over and then they're going to make the announcement. That to me would fit because and the rest is newspaper talk. I mean, we don't know who they've been talking to. We don't know what conversations have been had. We tell we know what the newspapers tell us. And uh, And a lot of that, as I said, and you agree, Tom, it doesn't make sense. But if they have got somebody in place, but they just can't name him yet, that would make more sense to me. Yeah. And well, I mean, maybe it, I'm just that, that makes kind of, sense. But then why are you doing the, the Catuso nonsense with like uh, just maybe drama, drama? I mean, to be fair, it might have not might have been agreed. Like, for example, Martinez or Deschamps or whoever, you know, the agreement could have been made in between matches. I mean. That seems highly suspect, but Gattuso could have just been a lot of smoke because of the Italian connection. Yep. You know, uh, Gattuso, he's been around, he's been what, with AC Milan, Napoli, longtime AC Milan player, etc. So they're like, what Italian players or what Italian managers have not, are out of a job right now? And, you know, we got Paratici, who's an Italian uh, director of football. Put two and two together, it would be confirmation bias and easy journalism. Yeah. Oh, Christian, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think the Italian thing's deeper than that. I think that we're heavily looking into Italy as um, and how the Serie A plays football, which is a classic Italian style of sitting back and really truly holding a lead, which is what we brought Mourinho in for. And Spurs were absolutely dog shit doing that last year and it cost us so many games so maybe we want to inject a little bit of that italian play mentality by looking at italian managers and and kind of pushing that agenda a little bit that's the only real reason that i could see for that happening on why we're getting this influx of italian interest in or we're going out uh scouting that um i think the bigger picture is no one wants this fucking job and i don't blame them because it's you know, <laughs> It's it's really this is a really hard team to fix when you have um, you have your star legacy player looking like he's going to make a move. Uh, 
you've uh, already loaned out and you know that the camp isn't happy uh, to key players and, and players are going back that you've loaned, uh, that you've got on loan, uh, that you thought were maybe staying. You've got um, one of the best managers of all time that really couldn't do jack shit with the team. Um, it's not really appealing, is it? What's appealing about Spurs right now? Okay, if you did it, you would be the absolute nuts. Um, if you did turn it around, you've got an incredible new stadium and you've got a brilliant fan base. But when I when I look at this job, it's not exactly, you know, the most appealing job in football right now. And it's all for good reason. So to me, it's incredibly disturbing how how we're spiraling right now, um, which we, we always saw was coming in the last kind of 10 games. And we just we knew where we were headed. Um, it's it's really, really sad. And I think the league, losing the League Cup was the kind of last kick in the nuts that was like, okay, we're going to have trouble. Now, I didn't think it was going to be managerial trouble. Not like this. I thought it was going to be much more player-orientated. But this is just a clear-cut sign of this is not great. You're right, John. We're usually in a position of knowing where we want to go, having direction. We don't have any of that right now. This is really scary because at least there's always some hope that they know what they're doing in the back office. I don't see that unless it is some secret crazy play designed by Levy to throw everyone off. So so that's that's kind of my full take on it there. It's, it's very disturbing as a lifelong Spurs fan. Well, to John, Christian, on the uh, the, t- the t- like uh, the, the Italian uh, style of play, uh, like going back to that, like m- my thing with that is it, it doesn't fit. Like if we're talking about going to an Italian defensive style, um, but then the messaging of the club right now is that we're going to go back to playing the Tottenham way, the to dare is to do to like an attacking style of play. Um, so the two things just don't seem like they're in line to with one another. And, and and that's the part that I really don't get about what we're doing right now. That's yeah. Exactly and the, like- <laughs> sorry, Christian, you carry on. No, I'm just saying having two, th- having two philosophies that don't go hand in hand and doing them sounds like something Spurs would do. So, uh- well, and, and to go back to, to think about the uh, Italian thing, the last two names to be mentioned, uh, Nuno and Graham Potter, are nowhere near. Uh, you know, they're, they're not. A, <laughs> they couldn't have been born farther away from Italy, quite honestly. But uh, so I, I believe that maybe ten percent of what we're hearing is reality, and um, the other ninety percent is. Uh, well, I'm sorry to keep banging this drum, but it's just there to sell newspapers. John, here's a question for you. Do you if if your theory is in fact true, let's just throw it out there. Who do you think is the manager? Like whether it be Martinez, Deshaun, maybe Paulo Sousa from uh Poland. He's been around. Um he's had a decent track record, you know, but like who do you think is probably the front runner if it's a Euro coach? I haven't thought that far. Okay. Because um. <laughs> I'm like, because your theory is, it's very interesting because, I mean, after Gattuso, everything just died down. So, like, thinking about that in the past few minutes, I'm like, you really could be honest something here. Yeah, and and uh, thinking of, uh, talking about Gattuso, I mean, if it's true, it was the fans' reaction that got him out of the picture? That doesn't make sense either. No, because, I mean, yeah, because Levy I didn't is... I not think much of the guy, when his name was brought up, 
and and I read what he'd done, I thought, well, I can't imagine why we're talking to him. And But the fact that there was an uproar in the fans and that that's why we stopped talking to him, I no, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I... I mean, my only wish is if he was manager, Joe Jordan would be assistant manager because that would just – that would be a sitcom in its, in a, of itself. But Well, whoever comes in is going to bring in his coaches. So. Well, no, because I was referencing the fight they had in the oh, Champions okay. League. Yeah, <laughs> That's why. Yeah, I'll say Dan, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I – uh, I watch it with interest. I hope that it will be resolved shortly because we need to get it resolved. I'm sure that there are um, players looking at offers right now from us and to us uh, that won't be resolved until we get a manager in place, and we need to do that. And that's the big problem right now. With, with the, the Euros, where asking price always goes up on players anyway, um, and it's going to be very competitive to get the players that we need we're looking at uh, we don't know what style of play we're going we're going to play so we can't really bring in players yet yet and and if if you're right i i i don't see where any of those coaches have that are playing in the euros now have more value than what we could get from people who have premier league experience uh, that are playing in our league right now like whether there there's going to be that big of an improvement over what we can we could probably get our hands on now, like in a Graham Potter uh, or, or maybe like a, well, I, I know Nuno isn't as popular of a idea and I, he's not really the guy I want either, but, um, but those are the two guys that are being talked about now. And, and I mean, neither of them are fantastic options, but I think it would be, at least we know we're getting somebody who was able to keep their team in the premier league with limited players. Um, Tommy, see, that's a, like I mentioned this in a previous episode. I'm like, the manager that we need is a Mauricio Pochettino type, just not him, especially with a lot of the squad that he's had or a lot of the squad that he dealt with is still here. Um, Graham Potter would, because of that, Graham Potter probably would be the ideal choice. He knows how to work with what he can have. I'm just unfortunately. After the whole Conte deal, anybody that is hired is going to be underwhelming or it's like, oh, well, that's who I figured we should have gotten in the first place. Like, not this manager, like, they'll probably be still be underwhelming compared to having Conte. So, I mean, unfortunately, it is what it is. Damn, like, Levy's just, he's going to take the brunt of the abuse and... I mean, let's be realistic here. All of the abuse he's taken over the years, he's taken in stride, just dirt off of his shoulder. So, oh well. Well, and and to be honest, like the Pochettino and Conte being talked about early on in this process, uh, it really spoiled the whole fan base for whoever we pick. Nobody, nobody's going to be satisfied at this point. Um, and that and that's a shame because if it is somebody like a Graham Potter, like he, you know, he deserves a chance. Even if it was a, a you know, he he deserves a chance to to see what he can do. I mean, a couple of years ago when Wolves were playing well, we were talking about him as a feasible coaching option down the road. Uh, but you know, as things kind of fell apart for Wolves a little bit over the last year, 
all of a sudden he doesn't seem as good of a candidate. So I don't know that he's the Tottenham way, but then again, like, are we playing the Italian way? So who knows? Uh, so it's, it's just kind of a mess right at this point, isn't it? Yeah, Anna, but I think the most important thing is whoever we get, we go behind him straight away and give him all the support and let him get on with it until we don't like what he does. Um, but let's not like what he does before we've seen it. Yeah, that's. I think that's the the part that's going to be tough for the fan base after the Conte rumors and the because it's always going to be the first screw up. Oh well, we should have uh, just given Conte what he wanted, or we we should have uh, pried Pochettino away from uh, PSG's cold dead hands. Um, that never made any sense to me. You never yeah. go back. You never go back. Yeah. No, I agree, but but it, I don't the, know. Right now, I'd have Harry Redknapp back. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that, Christian? I said right now I'd have Harry Redknapp back. Oh, yeah. oh, don't oh. let Rick know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't let Rick, but, like Rick knows for sure, but yeah, I could see. I, I could see admit, the value I, in it at this point with this club. Like you just just go out there and kick he, the ball around a bit. Yeah, and he'd stabilize the club because, like, yeah, there might not be the greatest plan in place, but the fact that. Here right now, it's like, you know, just do your thing. Let their talent shine out. Let them be creative instead of trying to instill a philosophy. That is kind of what we need right now. Unfortunately, that is, it's a very temporary solution. We do need that, but it's not going to be long. I mean, having Harry Redknapp kind of do this thing, you know, say for until like 2024, it's not going to pay off. I, I love if there was a way that we could get a hybrid manager of Harry Redknapp's way of getting truly getting the best out of his players, and there being no nonsense, and there being a cohesive vibe in the in the dressing room, you know, uh, with the strategical plan of Mourinho, you know. So you have this um, suddenly have uh, uh, Harry Redknapp basically uh, implementing the the tactical brain of Mourinho, and we have this kind of hybrid manager. Because that's what we need. I think. I think this has been going on far too long in Premiership clubs, where the clubs just take over uh, what they want from a manager. So it's just like if they don't, they're not getting exactly what they want from a manager, then they're able to oust that manager, and that is terrible. That is a really bad recipe. So you know, um, it's it's a shame that that's how it is now. But you need someone who can hold the dressing room who can really get the best out of their players, but also understands how to be um, a strategist and a tactician as well. Yeah, I would say ultimately if we could find, out of those qualities, I get, it, the, the uh, pillar of that would be uh, Alex Ferguson. But, I mean, if out of anybody that we could hire, who is that? Probably nobody, unfortunately. I think Steven Gerrard. I've heard that his name come up today as uh, in the uh, yeah he actually I don't know if, if he's the right fit either but uh, and uh, what somebody uh, had said was that the, the first sign of Liverpool needing a coach he's going to get his head turned but um but it's an interesting idea I don't know if he's ready or if he can handle the the, the Spurs drama that comes the the drama that comes with being Spurs uh, uh, I don't know any other ideas besides the one I know we've heard Valverde. Um, he's uh, available, um, but uh, I don't. 
he might play more the Tottenham way, um, but also hasn't been in the Premier League. Would he even want to come to Spurs? You think? Well, uh, the fact that he's available does not uh, should not be a criteria. I mean, if we only took guys that were available, we'd be in trouble. Um, so, you know, if you take that out of the equation that is available, what what else has he got? And I don't see much there for as far as uh, the kind of things that Christian was talking about, which I agree. You know, he's got to bring this squad together. Um, he's got to give them some freedom uh, and yet play successful football and attractive football. And that's a, that to me is the key to the whole thing. And I don't know who that person is, but I hope it's who we get. We have, we have the uh, Sevilla head coach turn us down today. Um, uh, Lopetegui. Um, I mean, we're just, it's just a, an absolute shit show of getting turned down by world-class managers right now. So, um, it's, uh, I think, I think no matter what, I'm really hoping what John said is true and there is a plan and maybe it is a, a coach at the Euro. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on this uh, coach, uh, conversation? I'm my, my final thought is hopefully, well, I know the Euros end on the 11th, but it, but hopefully it gets announced by the 30th at the latest because we need – there's so many holes with the uh, squad. Like, we need to come off of the – come into the transfer window up, up and running very quickly. we got to get some action done, some transfer activity, whether it be buy or selling and then buying within the next day or whatever, you know. So hopefully the rumors that come up, they'll be good, but – it remains to be seen, of course. Yeah, I really thought by this episode that we would have a coach to talk about. I think that's where I was at. And and now it's looking like I don't even know if we're going to come out of the Euros with a coach to talk about. Or maybe right at the end. Maybe if John's right, then yeah, maybe right after we'll know. Um, but uh, I just hope that there is a plan in place. I will say that the club, uh, they, they saw the bad media. Uh, and they did finally say we got to start keeping this under wraps what we're doing a little bit more everybody we talk to is becoming the next coach and becoming a huge drama show and i think they've been a little bit quieter over the last few days uh the rumors haven't been as loud and uh it hasn't sounded like the person's ink is on the paper right now which is what it sounded like with uh, the like the and uh, obviously fonseca but um but there'll be more to talk about this, and uh, we certainly will have an episode at the end of the Euros, um, and uh, hopefully by then we'll be able to talk about who the next Tottenham coach is, and uh, then we can start maybe focusing a little bit more on uh, what players we're going to bring in to fit their system. Um, but I want to move the conversation along. There uh, there was, um, uh, and this this isn't going to be in Tommy's uh, back page update rumors, uh, this is a pretty uh, marquee uh, uh, topic, but um, apparently the rumors were whether it actually happened or or not. But Manchester City offered uh, a combination of players and money to Spurs for Harry Kane, um, which I believe there's something there. Like they did, they certainly had a conversation and were trying to get feelers on what. Tottenham might accept, but Daniel Levy said he's he's not for sale at what you're offering. 
Um, I mean, some of the players that they were talking about is Raheem Sterling, who later came out and said that he doesn't want to play for Spurs. Um, Laporte and Jesus. Um, now, I don't know how many players or which players were in combination with any type of offer that was out there, but what are your guys' thoughts on on this potential deal? Are we ready to sell Harry Kane for the right package? Would you guys do it? Uh, no, John? absolutely not. No. And I think that why this um, uh, so-called Manchester City has no legs is that they haven't told us who the players are. Now, if if you're going to come up and make an offer then of £100 million plus players, then who are the players? And I don't think anybody spoke to Sterling about it, but Sterling's come out and said, well, look, if, if they're thinking about me, I'm not going. But he hasn't said that he was included in the package. There are holes all over the place on this. And um, I I truly believe that Harry Kane will stay with Tottenham uh, for the next season. Yeah, at least, at least, the, at least the next season. I do not see him going. Um but that doesn't sell newspapers, so we probably won't hear much about that. Yeah, and this is just really carry once once uh, once Harry Kane made the the waves in the press saying saying that he was that he wanted a, a transfer. Um, now all of a sudden uh, they're just going to take any smoke and turn it into uh, a, a drama of a deal that's happening. Uh, but I think Levy's been pretty. Um, clear that the Harry Kane's in his plans and, and to be honest whatever money we could get for him like there probably is more value for him at least this upcoming year for us having him to be able to attract a coach to be able to um, build a team around for at least one more season um, do I think that like maybe we do have to start thinking about the right time to sell Harry Kane if he's going to want to leave anyway yeah certainly next year I think we got to start thinking about it because um, we need to get something back for, for a player of that caliber. And he could be a good way to rebuild the squad. Uh, but, but I don't know if now's the time with the, the current uh, shakeup that's going on. Uh, Tommy. Yeah. I'm, I think we're just going to have to deal with the drama until the end or under the transfer window. So I I mean, I was looking, it said his contract's not up until 2024. So I would say best way to do it is tell Harry, kind of do what we did with Luka Modric and Gareth Bale. Be like, hey, we know you want, or, well, if Harry King does want to leave, for argument's sake, we can be like, hey, we know you want to leave. In terms of the money that we want, it's not right. We want to get more value out of it because we know you are higher value. <clears throat> Excuse me regardless of the pandemic. So if, say, Levy wants $150 million, it might it, it's going to be more feasible next summer. And also, kind of like with, uh, I forget, I think it was Ronald, Cristiano Ronaldo, like once he left Manchester United, like they already bought a replacement for him. Or I think it might be, or they had somebody lined up. So like he played for the year, and then by the time Ronaldo left, like they were up and running, I think something along those lines. So I think, and I'll talk about my back page update. We do, I do have a rumor of a striker, but I'm, so 
I think whoever, because let's be fair, Harry Kane's the only striker we have right now. There's been no action or any movement in terms of signing another, well, getting or or adding on another striker or even signing Carlos Vinicius or Troy Parrott. I don't, it sounds like he's not ready to make the jump to be a full-time first teamer. So, um, We'll see how that goes, I guess. My other thing is, like, in terms of package deal with Man City, those are very hard to come by. It's like American sports. So, like, why would any Man City player even would want to come here unless if you were a up-and-coming youth player or somebody that's a second or is usually a bench warmer but has the capability, they're just being paid very well. That's the only reason I would say see any of them come like Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, Laporte. I'm like, yeah, those number names were thrown around. But I'm like, what, what Sterling said, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm like, I don't hold any ill will towards you. I'm like, I don't blame you. If we get somebody, it's probably going to be like a Berbatov deal where we get Fraser Campbell with a player plus like a loan, which, you know, it's, it's like, <clears throat> Excuse me, it's like getting the consolation prize. So I'm like, I don't think that's happening either. But yeah, I don't think it's what we need right now. And I just yeah, like we're we're like we're literally like kind of like with Berbatov, we're literally going to have to find a player. And what we did at the time was sign Roman Pavlichenko. So we we got to find an actual player to sign with the money that would be sold. Yeah, and uh, one other thing here that I've been thinking about is that that it is true that managers that that are of the stature that we're going to hire have personal relationships with some players. And that could come into play um, when looking for um, another striker. If the guy's got, uh, if he knows about a guy that's sitting in the second team or has been playing for him, likes playing for him, then that's going to open up some opportunities. But uh, until then, I I can't see anything happening. You know, that's that to me is where we are. I, I think that um, I think first of all, I don't think we have a year to sell Kane. I think Kane's price drastically drops um, if we wait another year. Um, maybe not drastically, but I mean, this is the year that everyone thinks he's worth what he's worth. And, um, I think if we're going to sell him and we're going to get 150 mil for him, as much as I don't want to see him go, then now would be the time. But I don't like getting players for him because kind of what John's saying here and, and, and Tommy hit on it a little bit, the, the manager we bring in is going to want to build a team, not have, uh, players that don't want to be there from other a squads. So, I don't see that as being appealing to Levy for that reason. I think that he wants everything that Kane is worth, which is 150 million, to then rebuild a squad with four 30 grand, 30 mil players that um, actually turn out to be absolute studs. So um, that that is, and that is how you rebuild a team, right? Value for money on the players that you uh, acquired, and and getting that, you know, getting that cohesive. Um, uh, vibe within the, the changing room as well as, you know, let's look at a Leicester, all right? None of their players were like, 
huge 90 mil signings and so forth. We're talking about a team that has been organically grown to play together and is loyal and wants that. With 150 million, you can buy a bunch of players like that and start to build a really good squad. So I think that that you've got to – I think that if Kane's going to go, it is now's the time. I don't think it's next year. Um, but, it, you know, it's a really awkward time. Well, I think the, the, the awkward time is the problem, Christian. Like the – if let's say we sold Terry Kane and got the 150. Um, I don't know that the other players that we want to buy to – to use that money to rebuild our squad are going to be available this year. And then we're just taking that money and sitting on it for a year. Um, and we're a pretty ugly looking squad without Harry Kane. So I, I, I think maybe next year, the re- and yes, he'll still have two years left on his contract. Um, next year, uh, we can get probably almost as much money. We'll have gotten another year out of Harry Kane. We'll have attracted the coach that we wanted and hopefully, um, put a little something together and we'll be past the COVID economy where I think uh, we might have an easier time uh, um, signing players. Um, I think that's, that's my only concern with selling them now. I think it, yeah, I think timing wise, like, yeah, cash in now we need to rebuild now does make sense. Uh, But I don't think it makes sense with this current economy is kind of the problem that we're in. Um, any any final thoughts on this uh, before we wrap up this conversation? Um, okay, well, I think that's probably a good place to go to half. I did want to mention um, um, at this halftime point, um, we are um, going to be coming out with a, um, a, a separate series through uh, Four Star Spurs. Um, Catherine, who many of you know from our uh, Spurs Women updates, um, and a, a semi-regular on the podcast. Um, she's going to be doing a stateside Spurs series where she interviews some uh, local stateside uh, fan base, uh, uh, people, families. Um, she's, she'll have uh, conversations, get to know them, find out how, how they became fans, um, and just kind of uh, paint a picture of who uh, Spurs fans are in America. Um, I think it's a really excellent idea. She's going to be uh, doing a, a, a well-edited series, so a little bit different than how we do things where we just kind of press the button and record. So it's it, it's going to be a, a well-edited and well-produced uh, um, documentary series. Um, and uh, she'll be coming out with those. We'll let you know. So pay attention to our social media, and we'll let you know when the, some of those episodes are going to drop. So while we're taking our break, we'll have a, a few more of those, too. So you'll have some content to listen to while you wait for us to come back in full force. Uh, but we will be back uh, at the end of the year for at least one more episode, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so, uh, But that about wraps up the half. Uh, we are going to stay live and go to Tommy's back page update and kind of discuss it together. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Anthony. And as he noted, my name is Tommy. And, of course, this is your back page update. Um, so first up, according to The Sun, uh, Napoli in Syria wants left back Ben Davis for £14 million. It's rumored that he is the plan B as other clubs aside from Napoli are Napoli, such as Inter and Juventus, aren't interested in Emerson Palmieri. Uh, so right now, I would say £14 million probably be a good piece of business. I think he would do well in 
Naples, um, just because Serie A in general is slower, more defensive, which would suit him in theory because he is not the fastest defender, but he is defensively sound to a certain degree. Um, my only question right now, if this was going to happen, and of course we don't have a manager, if the new manager would actually have Ryan Sessegnon play as left back, so we wouldn't, so we would have Regulon and him um, play as left back, so we wouldn't need to purchase another left back. But we'll see. Um, well, that's anybody it, Tommy, else? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, I also saw today though that um, Paratici made some kind of comment. It was in one of the daily, uh, I can't remember which uh, source it was quoting, but apparently he's saying that he thinks Ben Davies is worth like thirty million, which is ridiculous to me. That's what we paid for Sissoko, but Sissoko yeah, that said, that was if that's thirty million. I'm like that is some Levy type of business. I just it, it seems ridiculous to me. Fourteen, 14 million, million sounds a reasonable price for ben sounds Davies. about right. Anybody that's have thoughts? In my opinion, I that's would take that and run. Yeah, I, oh, I, 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 gotcha. yeah, I would take that and run. I think that's still high. I mean, thirty million is absolutely outrageous money for Ben Davies. I mean, I don't know where that number came from, but fourteen million. I'm like, yes, goodbye, good riddance. Let's go take that cash. Yeah, I I, w- I would say that we can use that in a pl- place where we don't have a couple players that can play the position. Uh, they're younger. Um, cool. So yeah, I, I I I agree, and I think the fourteen million is a reasonable price. Like, but maybe they're just trying to get it up to more like eighteen or something like that. Yeah, it, it could be a bargaining strategy. I like a know. Christian Eriksen deal. Like Inter wanted ten, but they're like, well, we want more. And like they eventually settled on twenty type deal. Yeah. John, any thoughts? Yeah, I think that uh, again, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's been offered. Um, I, you know, there's one way of looking at 30 million. If Sissoko was worth 30 million, Davis is worth 40 million. Uh, but Especially with the inflation. You, yeah, well, <laughs> and and so you know, we've we've got a situation here where um, I think Davis could be surplus to requirements. I think both Sessignon and Regulon are attacking fullbacks. Whereas Davis is much more of a defensive fullback, although he does go forward. Um, but I think if we're looking for the squad for the future, I would see Regulon and Cessignon down the left, and probably Davis is surplus to requirements. So, uh, as Christian said, let's get some money for him. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, next up, The Athletic is reporting that a mystery international player is ready to join Spurs. The article claims that the transfer suits all parties involved, and the, and Spurs is the club of his choice. The only thing holding the transfer, of course, I mean, aside from the transfer window not opening yet, is the new manager would have to approve it. Uh, as of right now, whomever it is, hopefully he'll be ready for this shit show. Thoughts? This is or any idea who you think it is? Uh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's complete and utter bullshit. 
spun spun up by the media, trying to maybe uh, maybe spun up by Spurs to take the eye off the manager issues and throw some hope out there. I just think to say there's a mystery player. I mean, how incredibly vague and stupid is that? I just it's just like the it's like the magic eight ball when it's like. You know, oh, something might happen to you good later. You know, it's like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, this, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We could say this all day long. So uh, I, I just think that it, it's so pathetic and it makes us look in a worse position than we were already in. Yeah, as well as that, Christian, we don't know who he is, but he's willing to work with whoever comes in. What if this mystery player despises this new manager that's come that's coming in and has worked with him before and doesn't like him? Is he going to come anyway? I mean, there's so many holes in this story, like you say, that uh, it's, once again. Yeah, my only it, well, he, like Christian was saying, it was it's so vague because it's like, oh, or it's like you're going to live today, or you're going to breathe today. It's like yeah, or. Or something might good happen. He's like, well, did you find a dollar? Did you win the lottery? Did you have a good meal? Blah, blah. Or did you burn a buttload of calories while doing your workout? You know, it literally could be anything. Well, um, and, but, and how much is he going to be paid? Yeah, I mean, exactly. who who's going to say, yes, I'm going to go to Spurs before he's had a negotiation about how much he's going to earn? Yeah. Well, the, and, the only thing that makes me kind of wonder well, A, who, who's this mystery player? But, like, The Athletic, they always – I feel like they're one of the more solid pieces of journalism. They're all, there's always some sort of substance. Of course, like Christian said, this is very vague, so I'm like, why even publish this article? But I'm assuming whenever the manager's announced, something's going to be announced within a few days, whomever that may be. Well, I hope when he does his team photo that he just wears like a mask with a question mark on the front of it. Um, that, uh, that, that's how like, uh, I think of him. Or like Homer with Mr. X. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't get that reference. I was thinking Rorschach from, um, what's it called? Uh, the, oh, Walkman. the Walkman, yeah, Watchmen. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> if anybody wants to know what Mr. X is, just look him up. You'll get what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> Next one, well, this might actually be the possible player. Sport Club, uh, K-L-U-B, I think that's actually a Balkan Peninsula uh, news source, um, said Spurs are nearing the signing of Fiorentina striker uh, Dusan Vlahovic. Um, as of right now, he's only 21 years old. He did score 21 goals last season for Fiorentina and Serie A. So that is a high, a pretty good return um, in terms of goals. Because for those who don't know, Serie A is actually one of the lower scoring leads out, out of the top five. Um, in theory, this could be the scene as a replacement for Harry Kane. I mean, my theory before, like, we, we could bring him now, sell Harry Kane this summer in Man City, or maybe it's just to integrate him in this season. Who knows? Um, but regardless, if Harry Kane does leave, whether it be this season, next season, etc., it would be huge shoes to fill um, if this happened. He, he would have to step up quickly regardless and I would say Paratici would have to build a better supporting cast around the midfield to get him the goals. We'll see. But, uh, Christian, you had your hand up? Yeah, this kid's a stud. Absolutely. 
He's young, hungry. He's scoring goals in Syria, like you said, which is really hard to score that many at 21 years old without, um, you know, being able to finish your dinner. He is um, he would be great to bring on board, whether Harry Kane's there or not, whether it's for a year or he goes. Uh, I, I just really feel like this is the this is the most exciting uh, possible signing that I've seen from us. That's that looks to be semi realistic. So um I'm really excited about this. This you should see some of these kids, this kid's goals. He's he's clinical, and um, and I, I follow quite a bit of it because my brother-in-law is a big Juventus fan, and and he he's exciting. He's uh, energetic. He's youthful. This is what I'm talking about. Where you get 150 mil and you're buying, you know, a 21 year old stud striker as well as three other incredible players. That that is then you're then building a team and, you know, uh, going from um, Fiorentina to Spurs is a step up for this kid. Um, so uh, this is an exciting. This is probably the most uh, exciting thing I think that we've seen that's that's somewhat realistic. I'm actually glad you have the uh, we have a rigging endorsement from somebody on the podcast. And because I mean, aside from the stats, I'm like, I didn't I've never heard of this guy because. I mean, I don't follow Fiorentina or Siri. I dabble in Syria, but it's more Parma and they're not good. So <laughs> I mean, Anybody we, have your thoughts? we have a need, we need a striker either way. And I think oh, we, yeah. Have, yeah. we have to look at somebody, uh, but we also have to look at our other holes that are desperate to, that we're desperate to fill. Um, but it's tough to do that until we have the coach situation sorted out. So we know what those holes are. Like if we're going to play three at the back, then, uh, then we, then we need to buy probably two center backs. Um, but we're going to need a striker either way. Um, but I just hope we don't go for the budget basement striker by the time um, by the time we fill those other holes that we need to fill. I think that's and, the, the problem. Uh, John? Just, yeah, the other thing is uh, we can't be the only team that's figured out this guy's good. Um, you know, he's if he's going to move, he's going to have a lot of people interested in him. So... To, oh, yeah. to talk about the fact that it's a basically done deal uh, makes me a little bit suspicious, but uh, I'd like to see it. I'd love to see it. Let's. That's. I'm gonna. I'm trying to be more positive about things. I think I've been a bit <laughs> negative so far, but uh, I'd love to see it, and uh, let's hope that there's something in it. And I in no way uh, wanted to imply that it's a done deal. I'm just excited about the fact that it could get done. Uh, he, you know, I don't think with Spurs anything right now is a done deal. We are in a very, very weird spot. And uh, for the record, uh, I mean, this is transfer market, the website. It says his current market value is $44 million. So if it's around there, I mean, for a 21-year-old, sounds about right. Um, but... I don't know. Only time will tell, I guess. Yeah, we could give him thirty million and uh, Dave. <laughs> okay, so my last one is uh, with rumors of Serge Aurier leaving. Uh, the rumor replacement would be uh, Norwich right back Max Aaron's. Um, he did. He was one of the vital pieces of bringing Norwich back up to the Premiership. So um, it's alleged that his value is 30 million pounds. So I don't know if 30 million pounds is would be the right fee just because he's been in the championship. He has been established with that one year when he was in the Premier League with Norwich the previous season. But there's been rumors flying saying, you know, Oliver Skip might be made way to get Max Aarons. And I'm like, I hope that never happens because central midfield, like we need another central midfielder. 
Hoiberg can't do it. Lacelso and Ndombele, they're both, they've been inconsistent um, during their time at Spurs. So, I mean, I'm just hoping it's not expensive of Oliver Skip. But aside from that, Max Aarons, I think, would be a solid signing. Um, I would say, depending on the manager, I mean, if we play three at the back, I mean, these him and Doherty could be good as uh, the right wing back, but we'll see. Anybody got any thoughts on this? Um, mostly that, like, uh, you, you said the $30 million price tag uh, for a championship player worries you, but remember when we turned down Jack Realist for, what, $25 million? Um, I, I think that there's a certain point where, you know what, you, especially when you're talking about a young English player, you just got to go for it and and take the risk and you you might lose money but uh, chances are better that you have a player that's going to be useful um they uh they count as homegrown and uh um and it's a position that you des- desperately need so uh, yeah which would i mean i know cash is very cash flow is a little bit light right now but depending on how things go they could this would free up another international roster spot then because well, of and, that. and you could sell Ben Davies for thirty million and then get uh have enough money to buy him, right? <laughs> yeah. And well Ben Davis was already an international player, so that Yeah, and, and just to, to well. follow to follow up on two things that have been said. If we get rid of Kane and we get rid of Skip, we've lost two homegrown players. That would be disastrous for the squad in bringing other people in. I mean, it's very restrictive having this uh, homegrown player rule. So I think the last players that we're going to be looking to get rid of are those that are homegrown, in my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely fair point. Unless it's the ones that get you 150 mil. Yeah, well, because then you can buy some more homegrown players. Exactly, exactly. And that's why you should be taking chances on who gives a shit if he's in the championship. Uh, If he's playing to that level... And he is, you know, possibly an international and he um, he can go along with the vision of a squad. Then I have I, I think Jack Grealish is an absolutely perfect example there. He's been the, he's been England's um, best player so far in the era. So I uh, just by far. Um, so, yeah, I have to say I, I say go with that. We need to do something here. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, cool. it, it, it was at the last one, Tommy. Uh, yes, and uh, to end things, uh, my name is Tommy, and this is your back page update. Well, thanks, Tommy, as always. No um, good conversation, everybody. Um, so I want to have a quick conversation about uh, the Euros, and and uh, we, we did get to see the end of the group stage. Uh, I'm just going to very quickly go through the, the group results, um, uh, and then then we can talk about kind of uh, the matchups that we have. Um so um, in Group A, you had Italy in first and, and Wales in second. Um, Switzerland did qualify as well um, uh, in third place and then Turkey. Um, group B, uh, Belgium came in first, Denmark second, Finland third, and Re- Russia fourth. So uh, Finland and Russia were both both did not qualify for the knockouts. Um Group C, you had uh, Netherlands, Austria, U- Ukraine, and Macedonia. Um, 
Macedonia was the only team that did not qualify uh, for the knockouts. Um, Group D, you had uh, England in first, Croatia in second, Czech Republic in third, and Scotland in fourth. So England and Croatia advanced. Um, In Group E, you had uh, Sweden in first, which was a big win for you, Tommy. Oh, Um, yeah. Over Spain in second. Uh, Slovakia in third, and Poland in fourth, who is eliminated and didn't didn't qualify. Um, and then uh, you had uh, the the final group, the group of death, Group F. You had France take down the group, uh, Germany in second, uh, Portugal in third, and Hungary in fourth. So Hungary was knocked out of uh, the knockout stages. So. Um, Looking at the bracket, um, we, we can uh, go over some of the matchups that we have in this round and, uh, and have a conversation about those. I'm sure we'll probably lean heavily towards England in this group, but I know, Tommy, you'll want to talk about Sweden as well. Um, so um, I'll, um, let's, let's first talk about the, um, the top of the bracket, if we look at it as a bracket. So that's uh, Belgium and Portugal um, taking on the winner of Italy and Austria. So this is... Uh, Belgium and Portugal is actually a pretty uh, premium matchup. What do you think, Christian? Yeah, I mean, Belgium-Portugal's uh, definitely, for the first round here, it's going to be one of the best matchups. You've got um, Portugal coming off, um, you know, uh, being defending Euro champs, and um, uh, we've got Ronaldo playing, you know, uh, doing what he does best, which is scoring, but their back looks suspect, suspect as fuck. I mean, they they looked so sketchy in the back against Germany, and uh, again, still with France. So I think that, um, I think Belgium will get the better of them because of their consistency and uh, just purely of the talent. When Kevin De Bruyne came on for Belgium the other day, that game was flipped on its head so incredibly quick. He is the best midfielder in the world. I don't care what you say. He is absolute nuts. And uh, I I don't see them having an answer for that with their back four being or back three being so suspect. Um, so uh, So I think that uh, they will get the better of Portugal here, but I've been really impressed with it, over the past four years with how Portugal play. Um, they really go all out. The team is well led. They have so much faith in their leader being the best player, maybe that's ever done it. Um, so I, I, I really am looking forward to watching this game. Um, I think it'll be it'll be one of the best games of the tournament, not just certainly of the first round. On the flip side of that, Italy are going to win this thing, the whole thing. Uh, they've been 11 games without letting a goal in. They're playing Italian football as it's be- at its best. They are a young, hungry squad to get back to the top of international football after the fiasco they've had in the last few years. Um, they look so phenomenally in control in every game. And, and you know, God bless COVID in some ways from working from home. I can watch every game uh, on my uh, other screen. So uh, watching all these teams, you know, like Netherlands, they're exciting. You don't know what to expect. They could score three goals or they could lose five nil. And you're like, well, the Netherlands are a bit of a wild card right now, which they never really have been. They've always been pretty in control. Italy are automatic right now. They are exciting, but still playing Italian football, which is not very exciting usually. And Austria don't have an answer for them. So I I just see this as as Italy-Belgium, another phenomenal matchup uh, coming out of this first round. 
or in turn Portugal uh, do it again, which is not out of the realms of possibility. Um, but but I, I gotta say, uh, Belgium or Italy could be could be the winners here. So so that's my kind of uh, recap on those. Well, and yeah, and Italy's kind of kind of got the free ride against Austria to go on, but you know, Belgium and Portugal are really that 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 is a kind of a wild card game. We don't know how that's going to resolve, Tommy. Yeah, Christian, I'm I'm in definite agreement with you. Italy is the hot favorite right now, and I would say whoever wins that quarterfinal match. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to discount Austria, of course. I think they put playing pretty decent. Um, David Alaba, I think he's been great as well. But like Italy, just like how you're saying, like they kind of regrouped after that 2018 qualifying. Buffon, but Don is in. You know, he's like 21 years old, and he got a bunch of young hot shots. And like they brought like a lot of the old guard, they retired. Uh, Mancini, like he's been doing great. I mean, hats off to him. So like that quarterfinal match, so Belgium, Portugal, and then Italy, Austria. Whoever wins that quarterfinal match. I put money down to win, I would say. But here's the other thing. That side of the bracket, France and Switzerland, and then Croatia and Spain, like, France, they kind of start, they started off slow and are kind of, still kind of coming off of the running block a little, you know, coming into the knockout stage slow. But they still got the massive fire. Kareem Benzema, he's back. He scored, I think, two goals already. I can see them hit, heating up. Um, You've seen bits and pieces there. Spain and Croatia, Croatia started off, or they kind of have been languishing as well. They kind of limped into it. They destroyed Scotland. But like here, Spain, same thing. But here's the thing with Spain. They destroyed Slovakia. I think they're finally hanging up. Like Murata, I he's had a garbage tournament. And as a Sweden fan, I am thankful for that. Because that first game with Sweden and Spain, he, he could have easily had two goals. So this... Like, and we'll talk about the other side of the bracket, but like for me as a Sweden fan, I am so glad we're not on that upper part of the bracket because this is like easily any of those, whoever wins the round of 16 games, they could easily make it into the final just based off of the talent they had. I mean, honestly, Italy, with the, the way they're playing, they should make it to the final in theory, but... The only thing that could falter them is inexperience and the youth. But, I mean, Manchini's been there and done that for many clubs. So I think he'll be able to rein in, but we'll see. Yeah, Christian, you wanted to chime in about France? You hit on it for a bit, John. I'm going to pass the mic to you in a sec. I just wanted to hit on what Tommy was saying about France. Looking at them on paper makes me physically sick, not just because it's France and I'm an England fan, but because it's it, it makes me physically sick because it, everyone on their starting squad is in a top five team in the world and and some of the best players in the world. I mean, and they've got three of the best strikers in the world and they are still radically underperforming, to be honest. I mean, and not to mention they got the best goalkeeper in the world. So, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's it's just... It's nuts to me that, yes, Belgium on paper look incredible. Um, and, of course, we're biased being Spurs and, and fans of the Prem. But I'm, I just I look at this France team and I'm thinking, how are you not just absolutely destroying everyone that you come across? Because the way that the, what they have positionally on paper is better than pretty much 
any team that you see out there. So I'm I'm really just I'm really shocked at how but pleased at how uh, how underperforming France really are because I I thought beforehand they were plus 500 at the beginning of the tournament. England was plus 380 favored over them, and I was thinking that's a layup. Like I just I I really just am shocked at how um how poor they are considering what they actually have on paper. Yeah, uh, J- John, you wanted to chime in. Well, I did. Uh, I just wanted to go back to Italy again. I agree with you that Austria is not going to be much of uh, much trouble with them. But the the winner of Belgium and Portugal and the Italy game, um, I mean that that could be as good as a final. And I don't think it's automatic that Italy would win that. Um, but having said that, if they do, Italy France semi final would be amazing. Um, and I think that that side of the group in general is a little stronger than the other side. So I think that's the that's the side to watch for me. That's what I'm saying. I'd go as far as saying it's a lot stronger. I think this table's very lopsided. Um, I completely agree. And, and then some, John, I think that um, I think that Italy, have, uh, they're going to have to get through some hard teams, but. If they beat Belgium or Portugal comes through that uh, again with Tommy, I think they're in really good stead to win this thing. Yeah. What I would go so far as to say, um, like, England probably has the, the worst matchup on that side of the table. Like, uh, they, they, like any place else that they were on their side of their table, and they were probably in the best position. But Germany's probably going to be the, the toughest team to go through uh, uh, on that right side of the table. And I know that you guys want to talk a lot about England. Let's start with John on this. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, watching those last two games of the final group, Group F, um, England could have been playing any one of those four teams, depending on where you looked at it, um, where the results were. But anyone who's followed England for any period of time would have, should have put money on the fact that it's going to be bloody Germany. I mean, it's just that's the way it always seems to be. Uh, I do not understand how Croatia coming second in the group gets to play a third place team. That that to me is uh, an anomaly of the system. And, uh, you know, England have to play Germany. And no matter what position they came in in the group, if they're playing against England, it's going to be a tough game. Um, so those are, those are the two things that have, that have jumped out of me about that, uh, about our bracket is that, uh, yeah, there was some talk on the commentary. I don't know which station you guys were listening to, and I can't remember if I was on the ITV or if I was on ESPN, but, uh, there was some talk by the commentators of whether or not England would throw this game so that they could get a better draw. Um, having said that, I'm glad they didn't. I don't think that's any way to play at all. I mean, you just you're going to have to play the best sooner or later, and winning the group is a credit to England. Yeah, I I, I think you're right on that. As as much as like, yeah, I, I heard that talk, but you you can't plan for that. Like it, once you start planning to lose, then uh, then you're you're setting yourself up to to lose when you want to win. Um, so, um, Tommy, I bet you have something you want to say on the the Sweden Ukraine part of this bracket that yes the winner of england and germany will will uh will challenge yeah I, well ukraine is one of the weaker teams whether you know compared to like i would say denmark or czech republic probably the other weaker teams but i'm like we kind of got a little lucky 
at the end of the game against Poland. I mean, am I elated and thankful? Yeah, of course. Um, my issue is Jan Anderson kind of making these suspects substitutions. Okay, Emil Forsberg, I get it. He was gassed. You could see he was huffing when he was coming to the bench. But Alex Isak and Robin Quizon, I don't know why you didn't why you did that. Like, yeah, you had a two one lead at the time, but it's Poland. They still had a chance to win, and they were they were going at it. So, like, because for me, I'm like. I was telling my coworker because she's Croatian and her, her and her husband, they're big Croatian soccer fans. I'm like, I told her, I'm like, one of the possibilities that we could play Croatia. And I'm like, I hope that doesn't happen because Holly said before the other side of the brackets, it's freaking stacked. And so with the little bit of luck, we got, you know, first place, you know, winning that control their destiny, we played a weaker team because at the time, it could have been Finland, Ukraine, or Czech Republic. And thankfully got Ukraine. Um, so my only, and we're playing next Tuesday, which is the last game of the knockout stage. My only ask for Jan Anderson is don't sub out your attackers too quickly. I'm like, this is do or die. Um, if, you know, Alex Isak, I mean, <clears throat> I labeled him as one of the players to watch. And I think, I'm biased, I know, but I think he's done great. He hasn't scored a lot of goals, but the runs he's been making, um, passes and everything he's been doing, like he's been looking great. And he's only 21 years old. Um, the other one, Joe, he brought up, uh, Dayan uh, Kulishevsky. He plays for Juventus. He had COVID, so he he missed the first game because of that. He came to or he was training again for a second, and then. For, so he could have played for his second game. Third match, he actually came out as a sub. He had two assists. Like this, like, like I knew he was great. Joe, he saw this too. So I'm hoping Kulishevsky actually starts this next game. We, we, we can't leave things to chance because, like, Sweden, I'm like, I know they don't play the way Spurs play. I know what they're about. They're, they kind of pack it in based their play on counterattack. But it's Ukraine. I think kind of like how they did against Poland first 10 minutes they dominated like they should I'm hoping they kind of make the game a little more open because especially if Kulishevsky starts and you know like the midfield with him and uh what's his name Emil Forsberg on the both of them playing on opposite wings that should provide some good coverage Sebastian Larson you know he's aging he's okay but um yeah, I'm just, like I said, I'm very thankful that Victor Kloss has scored that late goal. And, I mean, whether who wins against England or Ger- or Germany, I mean, right now it looks like it's probably going to be Germany. I mean, John, Christian, hate all you want, but, I mean, England haven't looked that good. So No, I agree with you. But, on the other hand, I'm surprised you're complaining about Sweden and the way they've been playing. They won their group. No, I mean, I'm not know, complaining about the play. It's I, just how we got there. Well... You know what? It was I'm sure the manager doesn't defensive. care how they got there. I mean, they won. Yeah, the no, group, I mean, just like we, the object. like getting the subs and like we like Marcus Berg was the only four that we had. Like Jan Anderson was, he was clearly playing defensively just to stay, to hold on to that one goal lead. And I'm just like, oh, because I mean, we held our de- destiny was in their hands, so yeah. Not only did they win know, their group, they get to play a third place team and yeah uh that 
uh, I would have thought you should be ecstatically happy, quite honestly. No, I, I am. Prefer. It's just like oh, with good. that, it's like how we got there. I'm just like, oh, like, I mean, the team could have gave me the team. Doesn't matter how you. They would have given me a heart attack, but I mean, like you said, we got there, so yep. can't we complain it, too much? Any final been, thoughts before we talk about the last part of the table? Oh, I'm sorry, Kristen. Go ahead. No, I, I just saying that Sweden have been one of the shocks, like joys to watch on how they played. Super clinical. Um, uh, re- really impressed with them. They're always a sleeper team. Um, yeah. r- really, really, and not only that, Tommy. I mean, they have they have things like a manager, which is crazy. Yeah. What's that? And also, side note though, Robin Olson, who was uh kind of going back and forth with uh Jordan Pickford at Everton because he was on loan at Everton this season. I'm like. That first game against Spain, he literally and figuratively saved their Sweden's ass. Like, I, I, I mean, I would like to think. I mean, I know I'm biased, of course, but I would like to think he'd be in the running for the team of the tournament because he was. Robin Olsen is, aside from Emil Forsberg, is our biggest reason why we're in a, on the group and on the good side of the bracket. So, yeah. well, in. I think as far as uh, the England Germany goes, I, I think it's good that we're that Southgate's kind of forced to play Jack Grealish in this one. I think that's going to be helpful. Hopefully, Harry Kane starts to come out of his funk a little bit and play a little bit better. Yes, he hasn't been getting service in a lot of these matches, but um, uh, but you know he, he we know what he can do, and we did get to see him uh, contribute uh, with uh, um, a play from the midfield in the, the most recent match. Um, but I do think um, it's an up, uphill climb for England, uh, um, just an unlucky draw, because I think they could have gone deep in this tournament if it, if it just stacked up differently. But uh, Germany might uh, be the end of them. But it'll be a great match to watch, and I hope they get past Germany, because uh, I, w- I would love to see England, uh, like an England-Sweden battle. That would be fun. Um, any final thoughts on this part of the bracket before we kind of talk about the last part? No, uh, well, I've just got one more thing to say, and that is, uh, you know, if it is England and Sweden, uh, hopefully we'll give Tommy something to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'll just say this. It's kind of like uh, the 2018 World Cup. If we make it to the core finals, everything else is gravy. I'm not, I mean, yeah, if we lose in acrimonious circumstances, I'll be a little mad, but I'm like, you know what? Sweden overachieved, so and they won their group. So as of right now, I mean, there's a lot more positive than negatives, of course. Well, uh, going into the last part of the group, this is kind of uh, it's. I think it's the weakest part of the the the, the bracket, but also it's kind of an intriguing part of the bracket. Um, so you have uh, Denmark, Wales. Um, I think in this one you have. Um, you know, you have, you have Wales, you have Gareth Bale. Like they did go fairly deep into the last Euro, um, unexpectedly. Uh, kind of a weaker team. Like uh, obviously, we know Ben Davies and Roden, Joe Roden, um, on that squad as well as Gareth Bale. Um, but then you have Denmark, who uh, kind of had the Ericsson drama happen, and um, um, you kind of pull for them just because of. Uh, what they've been through it's kind of it kind of would just be a miracle story for them to continue to advance so i think that makes that an interesting match even though the talent level i think isn't there for that match 
And the Netherlands Czech Republic is um, I don't think either team are playing particularly well at this point, but it, it, it could be hit or miss. Uh, but that could be an interesting match. Um, but I think ultimately whoever comes out of the uh, that like uh, is probably going to get rolled over by either Germany or England or uh, less likely Sweden. Um, well, I mean, Netherlands did top their group. I mean, granted, it, it was Austria, uh, North Macedonia, and I forget who else, and Ukraine. Ukraine. So, I mean, but Netherlands, I mean, they were pretty clinical. I mean, regardless of the competition, that like the confidence is doing very well. And they have, I mean, they kind of have a mixed squad in terms of youth and veterans. So it's kind of similar to Italy where they've been a state of transition because previously they didn't qualify for the previous two ter- major uh, international tournaments. So them, like they had to regroup as well. So I was saying don't count. So if Netherlands makes it to the semifinals against Germany, which seems like a relatively or a somewhat clear choice, don't oh. count them out because Germany has, yeah, I know, boo. But, I mean, let's be real. Germany has been inconsistent, too. So, it, it depends on what which Germany shows up. So, yeah. Yeah, Christian? Uh, I, think, I think I agree. You can't sleep on Netherlands, right? Uh, they're playing a little bit. They're playing really scatty, to be honest. They're, they're not as, as clinical as, as they're, they're, like, they all look like they're on speed sometimes. I mean, they're just a little bit scatty right now. That's dangerous, especially in a tournament. Uh, especially with the pedigree of you know uh, Dutch footballers, so so I actually um, I, I really like uh, you know Belgium, Italy, and Netherlands are are all to me looking really good. So I, I think Netherlands come out of this well. Uh, Czech are great, but uh, really Schick is is their uh, talisman, and and yeah, he's playing well, and and that chip against Scotland was insane, and and probably easily goal of the tournament, but. Um, I don't think that they that uh, they can answer to Netherlands, and I, I think that that Netherlands, England, Tommy, not Germany, uh, will uh, will definitely be uh, one for the um, one for the books because I, I, you know, England struggles against those pedigree clubs, those international pedigree clubs. So it's it's definitely um, I'm you know what I'm happy to see England play Germany. I'd be happy to see England play Netherlands because this is the year they should be proving themselves against those high international <clears throat> sought after clubs. So uh, don't sleep on Netherlands is my key point there. And Wales, uh, I I love the um, the vigor of Wales. I love that they're you know really pushing, and I'm so glad they're through. And it's great to see a bunch of Spurs players and ugh, Aaron Ramsey. Uh, but it's still you know he's he's a great player, but. At the end of the day, you know, Wales have got something to prove here as well. Um, so I I could see Wales making a surprise turnout of this game. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like – I actually really like the – I can't wait to watch those actually. They're, and they're Saturday. Wales play Saturday, right? So that will be, uh, be nice to watch. Yeah. No, it's uh, – I can't wait till this weekend and, and just watch all these matches. Oh, it's and, and Oh, yeah, it's but just random. Yeah, go ahead, Tommy. Oh, sorry, I'll be quick. So, like, Belgium-Portugal, that's going to be the blockbuster top-tier match. But, like, Wales and Denmark, I would still say, is going to be fun to watch because it's the, aside from Belgium-Portugal, they are the most evenly matched 
uh, squad for squad for this round. So, yeah, so like I wouldn't be surprised if you see a decent amount of goals. So, yeah. but you know, of course, we'll see. Of course, yeah, I am just so excited about the rest of this tournament. Knockouts are here. I always love the group stage, but the knockouts are here, and and then it gets real. So uh, this is going to be a fun time. Uh, I I wish I could watch every single second. Um, I'm trying to cram my meetings, sh- shorten all my uh, work meetings online so I can uh, get more of the matches in each day. Uh, but this is going to be so so much fun to experience. Any final thoughts before we wrap up the episode? Uh, I agree with you. I'm really looking forward to it. Let's go for it this weekend. And uh, I do plan to watch every second of it. But that's one of the joys of being retired. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I wish I could retire now just for a couple weeks. But <laughs> side, Oh, side note, I'm actually – I'm not going to be at the bar. Anthony, I'm assuming you will be. Uh, but it's kind of coincidental, but, like, I have a big country weekend with my friend uh, Kevin Ryan and Henry. So, like, Kevin kind of organizes because he lives out in the uh, boonies of the western, far western suburbs. And oddly enough, Kevin – well, Catherine actually already interviewed Kevin for her um, – for her spinoff of the podcast. So, but like Kevin and Ryan, like those are actually like the first Spurs fans that ever actually knew. So it's kind of cool just to watch it with them and kind of kick back and just watch just soccer with some old friends. So this will be actually very relaxing and nice. Un- well, until Tuesday, of course. So. Yeah. And I I have a really, really important final thought that uh, I'd be crazy if I didn't say. It's only three words, and it's, it's coming home. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, Christian. I I would love to see England uh, bring bring the trophy home. I think that would be a story of this tournament. Um, I think the only thing that would be more the story of the tournament is if uh, by some magic uh, Denmark brought it home at this point. But uh, that's not going to happen. but regardless, what an exciting uh, tournament it's been. I, it, I think it's only going to get better. Um, and uh, it's a nice distraction from uh, the Spurs drama that we talked about in the first half. Um, uh, but there will be more to talk about with that, too. And when we wrap up the Euros, we'll have another episode and we'll talk about that uh, uh, that drama that's still going on. And we'll talk about the results of the tournament. Uh, but I think that about wraps up the episode. So thank you to Christian, John, and Tommy for being on this week. Um, thank you to for Tom to Tommy for editing and sound, Charlie for the music, Kevin for social media, Tommy for back page update, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic Bar. Uh, we've been watching a lot of the Euros there, especially the England matches. Definitely give them a call and let them know you're coming out if uh, you're coming for an odd weekday match. But um, but they've been mostly open for the uh, the Euro, so d- d- definitely go there and watch if you're watching. Um, find our merchandise at Big Head Media. Find us both now on Stitcher and, and Spotify. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review on iTunes if you like our podcast, or give us a review wherever you get podcasts. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Four Star Spurs and our website at fourstarspurs.com. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>